Hello and welcome to episode, this is now episode number four of the Throwing Strikes podcast. I'm Steven Risotto and we are joined today by Jared Timms, Hope International University baseball alumni and he's a current grad assistant and he also covers the Los Angeles Angels and their farm system for Talking Halos podcast. Jared, what's up man, how you doing? I'm not doing too bad. You know, I, I got to say something. I'm kind of disappointed it took four episodes to get me on. You know? but, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. I want to talk some baseball. You know, I, I, I love it. Let's, let's get it going. <laughs> so there's no baseball happening right now, as you know, obviously. No sports, no fun. Uh, so what are you doing right now to pass time through this quarantine? Um, I know that there's a lot of um, new hobbies that people have come up with. So what is Jared Timms doing right now to pass some time? I'm trying to learn as much as I can. You know, I'm on Baseball Savant as much as possible. You know, it, I, I love that site. I don't know, you know, you're, if you're listening, go on Baseball Savant. Learn as much as you can from that. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm a big fisherman, too. I love fishing. So I, I'm, I have a – it's kind of a river in my backyard. It's a riverbed, but there's water in it. And if I walk down a mile or so, there's some fish. I'm trying to catch fish. So it's, it's tough to get out, but there's not a lot of people back there. And, you know, it's, 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 better, than, it's better than nothing, but – Baseball wise, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can, you know. So getting Rap Soto certified tomorrow. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just ex- I just want baseball. You know, I'm trying to keep as much baseball in my life as I can. I agree uh, with you. I want baseball too. So Major League Baseball recently proposed a plan to the Players Association about resuming uh, this season and having uh, divisions geographically and having a universal DH um, and. I know a lot of people, including probably you and I, would do anything to have the sport back. Uh, so what are your thoughts and expectations about this proposal? Um, do you think the Players Association uh, and the players would agree to this? Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I kind of I like to take both sides, you know. I mean, I, I want baseball to be back so badly, but you need to be, you know, safe about it at this time, and you need to be, you know – players and coaches and everybody have to have, you know, the right mindset and the right, you know, every, everything's got to be perfect. You know, the stars have to align in a sense for us to get going. It feels like, you know, we're on a, we're on the right, we're on the right track, you know, at least if we're talking about it and obviously they're playing baseball in Korea and um, Taiwan and everything, but you know, it's, it's gotta, it's, it's gotta be the right situation and everything, you know, everything has to, has to align correctly and rule wise, you know, we may have to have a year of rules that are just going to kind of be, so so in a sense you know I we might be working with slow pitch softball here I don't know if it's going to be technically slow pitch softball but you know it's it, it, it's going to be a little different I think this year and you know as much as we all want baseball back it's just going to kind of we're, we're going to have to slowly ease our way back into it um as far as the DH rule goes you know I'm, I'm fine with that as long as it's only this year and we don't see it any more than that but you know it, it, it we'll see we'll see I think we're probably going to see some rules carry over next year um I don't know what, you know, but we're just going to have to wait and see. And like I said, I mean, we all want baseball back, but it needs to, it needs to happen the correct way. It can't happen the wrong way. Yeah. The CBA uh, coming, the CBA expiring, and maybe this could be a test for some new uh, rules, like you mentioned um, about the DH, maybe some of them stick, but we'll see. So are you watching the, you mentioned the KBO. Are you watching any of that? I know the games are late, um, especially in the United States, they're pretty late, um, especially on the Pacific Coast, I should say. Uh, so are you watching any of those? I know um, baseball Twitter's kind of going nuts about them. 
about KBO. They're picking out teams left and right. Uh, so are you watching any of it? I've been trying to keep as much in as, as I can, you know, um, it's, it's tough to watch a game that starts at two 30 in the morning, but ESPN does replay them. So I've been trying my best to, you know, watch them through replays as best as I can and not watch, you know, any, see any scores or anything. Cause if there's a score, then I kind of get bored with it. But if there's replay, I'll, I'll definitely turn it on, flip it on and watch it. If, you know, I, we get some 10 o'clock games or even the one o'clock games, I'll, I'll try to watch the one o'clock game, 10 o'clock games. I'll definitely step forward and watch those as best I can. Cause I mean, it's baseball. And even if it is technically in, in a sense, like double A AA or triple A, it's like I said, it's better than nothing. And, you know, there's some interesting players. It's, it's, it's a fun league to watch. I I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, everybody's the pitchers kind of talk to the umpires, you know, the bat flips, which everybody's been talking about. And the, uh, it, it's interesting to see empty stadiums, but you know, it, we're probably going to have to get used to that for a little while. And I, you know, I, I don't mind it, you know, but other than that, I, I love it. I think it's, like I said, it's baseball and it's, you know, it's an interesting type of baseball. It's a, it's a different world. And I'll kind of, I'll go off on a little bit of a different tangent, but I went down to the world baseball classic um, down in San Diego where I saw Dominican Republic and Venezuela. And this is what it kind of reminds me of. It's just a different atmosphere, a different vibe. You know, everybody, obviously there's nobody in the stands, but, you know, everybody cheers and goes crazy for those games. And it's, it's different than American baseball. You know, we don't see everybody sit back and, you know, it's not just standing up with two outs in the ninth inning, you know, it, it, in Korea, it's standing up during the whole game. And, you know, we hear the cheering and we see replays of old games and such like that in Korea. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to see no, nobody, but like I said, baseball is baseball and it's a fantastic league and I, I'm really enjoying it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I've I've also been I agree with you because I've been to a, a WBC game of my own back in 2013 um, when was it the I think it was Puerto Rico and they took on Dominican Republic at Oracle Park in San Francisco and you had people coming in with drums and it was just an awesome atmosphere. So let's talk some Angels real quick, Jared. Uh, coming off a 72 and 90 season in 2019, Brad Ausmus was out after a year. Joe Madden is back. Anthony Rendon's been brought back on a pretty big uh, free agent deal. It went hard after Garrett Cole. Uh, they missed. So before the pandemic, what were some expectations about this team entering into 2020? You know, it was, it was everywhere. You know, it was – some people had them as a 500 team. Some people had them winning 100 games. And that's kind of where I was too. It's like, you know, you could totally see them being a 500 team, you know, and just being middle of the road, kind of how they've been the past five years. Or you could see them – popping off and win a hundred games, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting division for sure. You know, we have Houston who's, you know, that we don't know what they're going to do. I mean, before all this happened before the pandemic and it, we, we weren't too sure where they were mentally, you know, that was my big question mark. It was well, where's Houston going to go. And then Texas made a few key additions. You can never doubt Oakland because for some reason they're always in the mix. I don't know how, but Billy Bean seems to do it. And uh, Seattle's interesting up there. They're going to be good in a couple of years. But, you know, back to the Angels, it was, you know, it, it could have been gone any way. I, I think I had them winning about 86 to 88 games this year. Um, obviously, we probably won't see that. But, you know, I, I actually haven't done the calculations for an 82-game season. I'd guess 55 wins is probably pretty good. I Honestly, with this 82 games, it's going to be really interesting to see projections and everything and see, you know, how many games it'll be to win – win a division or however it works, win a wild card. I, I don't know. However those rules work, we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, moving forward, you know, 
it'll be it, I, I like the Angels I like their chances I like what they've done and I think there is still a pitcher or two away from really being a World Series contender but when you look at the offense I mean you add you get Shohei Otani Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon probably two three four in the lineup and possibly Joe Adele wherever he slides in you know it's it's an interesting it's a very interesting combination of guys there yeah that's probably one of the best um triplets in the, in a lineup in baseball I'd assume um so you get to see one of those uh members in that uh group there Mike Trout you get to see him play every day day in day out front row seat um and if his career ended tomorrow I don't think there's any doubt that he'd be in the hall of fame um and probably even be in the conversation among the best to ever play uh so what is that experience like for you to see Trout blossom like he has um and how is it like watching him every single day must be special it's it's incredible you know it's I it's it's just an honor honestly like as I think that most people don't really understand still what we're watching like it's like oh it's Mike Trout he's just going to do this year in and year out but I mean man you look at his stats this first eight nine years of his career and and you put him up against the greats I mean whether it's Ruth or Mays or Mantle or even you know Barry Bonds or you know anybody like that it's I mean it's it's incredible like I it, it you know I have this conversation with, I mean, I think you know who Brent McGuire is. I, we talk about this every day almost, and it's like, man, he seems to do something different every single day of the season, and it, it's incredible. It's like, wow, Trout hit that ball 450 feet. And, I mean, that's just become the norm in a sense is watching Mike Trout be amazing. It's almost like a verb. You know, Mike Trout, you've been Mike Trouted almost. I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just it's special to see it, and he's, he's incredible. And, I, you know, I can't imagine – a lesser trout obviously we'll see a decline here fairly soon but you know I don't even know what a decline looks like a six win player at the age of 35 is still unbelievable still an all-star <laughs> speaking of wins he's already got 72.8 baseball reference war which is I mean there's guys in the hall of fame with about that number uh, so yeah like you mentioned it is pretty special so same thing with Shohei Otani so he played in limited games in 2019 and ultimately went uh, underwent Tommy John surgery how excited are you to see him again every day in that lineup and in that rotation? I don't know what I'm more excited to see him in the lineup or him in the rotation. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible both ways you go. And I mean, you have a guy that can hit a ball 500 feet, you know, in batting practice. And I mean, you look at how the ball comes off his bat and it's, it's stupid. You know, it's, it's crazy how, how hard it comes off and he runs fast. You know, I mean, he's, I think MLB.com came out with some today and he had the top 10 fastest home plate first base times in in baseball and then you can put him on the mound and he's you know 97 to 99 with disgusting splitter disgusting slider and he bloops in a 65 mile an hour curveball every once in a while and it's like I've never seen hitters so baffled at the play I mean you could have a scouting report for him and kind of know what he's throwing and still not really have a chance like I was able to go back and watch him pitch against the A's that incredible start where he you know, almost was, he was almost perfect through seven innings and he, he was, he was insane. And, you know, he's pumping 95 to 99 miles an hour, dropping in a split finger that's moving probably 30, 40 inches, the slider that moves away from a righty. I mean, the A's just didn't look right. So, I mean, Shohei Otani is absolutely amazing. And again, it's somebody that I don't think Angels fans will, are going to really appreciate until he's, you know, not Shohei Otani anymore. So. 
So last year, uh, like we said, was kind of a rough one for the Angels uh, record-wise. They also literally lost a member of their team. Uh, pitcher Tyler Skaggs passed away in July. I remember where I was. I was actually in San Diego at the time. Um, the Giants uh, were playing the Padres in San Diego, so we took a road trip there. Um, and I was shocked when I saw the news. I think everybody else was shocked. So where were you when you heard this news, and how much do you think that that affected the club moving forward? Yeah, you know, I was actually coaching at UCI, um, doing some kids' camps during that time, and had my phone in my pocket, and I just – it was just like constant buzz, 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 buzz. And I was like, oh, the Angels must have did something. I don't know. They made it, might have gone out and made a trade or something like that. And I get on, I get text from my girlfriend, just Skaggs died. I was like, what? Like, come on, like, don't mess with him. You don't mess. And I had to get on Twitter real quick, scroll through, and it was just Tyler Skaggs, Skaggs Harris. And I was like, oh, I, I, at the time, like, in front of all the kids, I had probably had, we probably had about 60, 70 kids there. And, you know, you got to kind of keep your composure for a little bit and be like, all right, you know, let's just keep the, keep the day going. But, as I was on my way to my next job, because I worked two jobs during the summer, um, I, you know, I turned on down here in uh, Anaheim. We go at AM 8:30. Roger Roger Lodge does, you know, pregame and such like that with Trent Rush, and they're they're on there and they're just, you know, taking phone calls. I think they took phone calls for a week straight from people just talking about how they remember Skaggs and everything like that. And you know, it was it was a very, you know, we unfortunately have had to go through this before when I was more of a newer fan, I guess, in a sense, newer person to the angels, um, with Nick Adenhart. And that was tough, but, you know, being older and really understanding it and kind of being around this team so much, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing to go through. It really, really is. And it was, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't cry, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, it, it was horrible. And the way that it affected the team, I mean, I don't think we really saw it on the field until, until you know they came back home and you know the no hitter was absolutely incredible I was at that game absolutely the one of the most incredible games I've ever seen in my life like you could just feel it walking in to the stadium that day you were like man something special is going to happen it just felt just felt right like something was going to happen and you know you get you get going in the game and it was it was just an incredible game but I don't know you know on the field I don't know how much it really affected the team minus losing a losing a starting pitcher unfortunately but in the clubhouse, I think it had a huge toll on the guys, you know, walking into the clubhouse every day and still seeing all of his stuff there. Um, you know, I, I, who's, I've, I can't think of who sits next to him or anything like that. I think Andrew Heaney sits next to him in the clubhouse and they're best. They were really good friends, best friends almost. And, you know, it, it, it hundred percent took a toll on this team. I don't know how much of a toll on the field it took, but definitely in the clubhouse. Cause he was def he was, he was a leader in, on this, on this ball club. And again, he'll, he'll always be missed. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to look at how this team would have been this year if, you know, this, if it didn't happen, you know, um, and how, if, you know, with Skaggs, are you a contender, you know, what, what are you able to do with it? Are you able to go out and make a trade and, you know, the what ifs in a sense with this season, but yeah, you know, it was just, uh, it, 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 you never want to go through something like this, but going through it basically twice. And then obviously there's been other players that they've lost, you know, whether it was Trout's, Trout's brother-in-law down the minor leagues, um, or Luis Valpuena, who wasn't with the Angels at the time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of been a rough, I guess, 10, 15 years for the Angels when it comes to all that stuff. So, you know, it, it's – I don't want to say it's really become the, the halo way, but, you know, just disappointment's kind of been that route that this team has taken, and it's, it's, it's been unfortunate, you know. But 
you know, we get, yeah, you just got to keep pushing exactly the times that we're in right now. You just keep pushing and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I think they're really close to being a contender. So I mentioned before that you cover the angels in their farm system as well. Uh, so explain your role when it comes to breaking down the future talent coming through the pipeline for the halos, explain what you do uh, to some of the listeners out there. Yeah, I've kind of been, you know, around a little bit with uh, when it comes to writing in a sense, I, you know, I've never really stuck somewhere for a while. I was with diamond digest for a, for a bit, you know, personally, I'm not a huge writer. I never was a big English guy in school. I, I, I wasn't a big writer. I know it's a great way to get your name out there and everything, but I love the podcast way. And I love, you know, doing, you know, anything minor leagues. I think the way to get, you know, where you're going is and understand it is through the minor leagues, especially with baseball. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to do it. You know, I, I'm out with the uh, Inland Empire 66ers as much as I can. You know, I, I, I'll show up there about five hours before a game, watch some batting practice, talk to some guys, you know, see, see how, see how it's going. Um, and then, you know, really instead of reporting, I, I kind of like to take the, the way of a scout. You know, I like to sit down with the scouts, get some radar readings, see kind of what they have to say. And that's honestly the, really the best way to learn is just kind of sit and watch a game and, see who they like and I mean the more eyes you can get on a game the better you know the more the different perspectives you can get on players is 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 great but you know when it comes to to my job with with all this I just you know I love the game I uh, I like to inform people about it and whether that's you know posting a video about a guy or you know giving some stats on a minor leaguer you know I like to that's just kind of what I like to do is inform inform Angels fans about what what's really going on. So now to the playing career of you. Uh, so you attended Canyon High School in Anaheim, and you head to Fullerton uh, College, which is a junior college in the area. How misunderstood is going through the JUCO route? Because I know a lot of people are so starstruck by the big lights and the four-year colleges and the big-name schools. How misunderstood is the JUCO route? It's totally misunderstood. I, I, I played there for a year. So I didn't get, you know, I, I actually registered for years. So I didn't really even play that much. I was there for a year though. And, you know, it was, it was great. You know, it was a different, it's a different atmosphere. It's almost like in a sense, like a summer ball atmosphere. Um, if any college guys are listening to that, it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, um, and coming from Canyon, I, if I can bring it back a little bit, I got cut from Canyon. So it, it was just kind of one of those things where I, I love the game so much. I just kept playing and I found myself super, super lucky to have an opportunity at Fullerton and going on to, another school and then finally finding my way at hope. But the Juco route, man, that's, that's, if you can go that way, you know, don't, don't be ashamed to go in that way. Cause at our school right now where I'm at at hope, we look for a lot of Juco guys. That's, that's, that's a route that a lot of colleges take. So, you know, looking at, you know, going to a Juco is not, not a bad thing at all in any way. You know, you're, you, if you know, you're good enough and you think you can, you can play there. That's, you know, that's, that, that's it, you know, and especially in California where there's so much talent, especially down, down here in SoCal, you know, I think that JUCOs, it's probably the, probably the best JUCO system in, in the, the United States, unless you're looking at, you know, I know Texas has some good ones and they get some guys that get drafted out of there every year. I think it's San Juanito, Juanito, I think is what it's called. They get a couple guys out of there every year, but, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a great way to go. You know, don't, don't bump yourself down if you're not getting D1 or D2 or D3 offers or NAIA offers from anybody. You know, don't be ashamed to go into a junior college. It's not a bad route. 
So was there a big switch from high school to college in terms of talent? Like I said, I didn't play too much in high school. I, I played my route that I took in high school was my freshman year. I played, I got cut my sophomore year and I started playing adult league Sunday league right away. So I was the, I was a 15 year old playing with 30 year olds, basically not a lot of structure that way, but you know, it was what it was. I was able to get my innings and in. I was able to hit a little bit and it wasn't a bad thing when it comes to, it, it really depends on where you're playing. To be honest, there, it's always going to be a big jump from going to high school to college because you're still growing so much. You know, you're going to see harder pitching, whether even if it's at like, if you're going to a D1 level, you're definitely going to see harder pitching or down to the NAI level or the JUCO level, you're going to still see good pitching. It's going to still be 85 to 95, wherever you're going, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things and you're still going to get good hitters that possibly get drafted and you're always going to see the scouts and everything like that. So the jump, yes, it's, it's a, it's a big jump. And it's more of a growing standpoint. The more you can get in the gym, the bigger you can get, the better, you know, harder throwing you can get, the more long toss you can get in. That's, that's always a great route to go. Um, but you don't need to always throw hard or hit far to make it to the next level, if that makes sense. So uh, I don't know if this is the same thing that you were just talking about, but you played for a collegiate summer team uh, called the East LA Dodgers. So how was that experience? Fantastic. Actually, you know, I applaud you for doing your research here. On <laughs> I, I did do my man. research. Yes. East LA Dodgers. I loved it. I played there. I played summer ball from when I graduated high school up until, let's see, last, last year I finished playing because I took a couple years off. Like, I guess I kind of took a couple years off college um, in between Fullerton and Hope. But, um, but yeah, I, I love summer ball, man. Summer ball is so much fun. You just kind of it's, – it's a very relaxed atmosphere. The coaches don't really care too much exactly. You know, you just kind of get out there and you just kind of do your thing. You work on your stuff. If you want to work on – like myself, I was a pitcher. If I wanted to work on a new pitch, that was what I was working on all summer was that new, that new pitch. It's a good place where you can go and the stats don't really matter. I mean, there's all-star games in places for sure. Like I, I think I made the all-star team five or six times in a row just – just because it, it was there and the coach sent me, but, but yeah, it was, a, it was summer ball is a fantastic opportunity, no matter where you go. I mean, we, I hope we send guys back. I mean, we've had, I think one or two guys go to the Cape all the way to, we send guys to Canada. We send guys back to Virginia. I mean, if you can go somewhere, travel hundred percent, do it. That, those are the best times, you know, that's great memories that you can make summer ball. I, I still have friends from a lot of the summer ball teams that I played on um because the team's changing up every year but but yeah you know I still have a lot of friends and you know and players that come in you know you you make a lot of friends that way too across the country you know so you're often obviously you're an angel guy you cover the angels you um I'm sure you grew up an angel fan so was it strange wearing a dodger uniform at all that was the first thing that like happened when I I guess I when I signed with the team I guess is what you can kind of say um yeah, I still have my Dodger hat up there because I will wear it from time to time. And my brother plays on the team, so I'll go and help coach every once in a while. But, but yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I've, talk, I've tried um, – me and our head coach, his name's Leo. He uh, who runs the team. He, um, I, I always messed around with him. I was like, hey, you know, you ever thought about wearing red jerseys or changing the team to maybe like the East L.A. Angels? We can still wear blue, you know. But I always tried to pick an angel number, you know, whether it's 27, I think. I still have my 27 jersey or I think I wore 36 for a while or, 
you know, whatever angel number I could get, I would do. So let's talk pitching real quick. Uh, you were a pitcher and um, obviously you teach pitching now. So there's a lot of variables that go into it and a lot of it has to do with context. Um, so what are some of your, your personal keys to pitching and some that you would give out to maybe a younger pitcher? Yeah. You know, I mean, starting with the younger pitcher, the reason that I got cut, well, I put air quotes was because I didn't throw enough strikes. I didn't, when I got cut, I walked like three guys. I don't know. That's the reason why. So I always focused on throwing as many strikes as I could, even if I had to take a little bit off of it to throw strikes. So when I got into college, you know, even my last couple of years, I wasn't throwing hard, maybe 80 to 83, maybe at, at most. And that's when I started switching up my arm angles, but I, I threw that hard mainly because I wanted to find my spots. And if I could throw strikes and get guys out with less pitches, and be more economical, that was going to be the key to my success. And I knew that right away. So the more strikes that I could throw with, you know, any of my pitches, the better I could get, you know, even if, like I said, even if my pitches kind of flattened out a little bit, I knew that I could throw strikes with all four of my pitches. And that was, that was a huge, huge key to going all the way to when I stopped playing last year, you know? So, um, and that's what my coach kind of, even in college prided me on was like, you throw a lot of strikes, but that also comes, you know, as a negative too, you know, you need to be able to learn how to control the outside, you know, of the zones as well. You know, you got to learn how to throw your slider away, away, or throw your fastball in or throw your fastball away, away, you know? So it's, um, throwing a lot of strikes is good, but don't throw too, too many strikes. That, that's the, that was the key to my success. Um, and then another thing that I, that I learned that I love to do, and I wish I would have learned a lot sooner in my career, because I think it would have helped me out was being like Marcus Stroman, changing up, changing up the looks, you know, I would, I would, you know, kind of in my set with nobody on come set and hold for as long as I could or come up, hold with my foot, you know, up in the air, maybe dangle a little bit and then drop down sidearm. I, I wish I would have learned that so much longer in my earlier in my career, because I, my last year I learned it and I was, it was a lot of fun. Like I love messing with hitters. Like just, they would step out and be like, what are you doing? It's like, well, Oh, well, you know, that was a strike. You should have hung in there. And I, I hope a lot more major leaguers do that. Cause I love watching that. I love seeing the timing get missed up. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah. And that <laughs> it's kind of talking my language because when you said um, not too many strikes, um, cause obviously I'm, my senior year just got canceled due to the, the pandemic, but um, that was kind of like me. I came up and I was throwing a lot of strikes, but when I got to the varsity level, it there's bigger and better hitters and I was leaving the ball up in the strike zone and it was not turning out well for me. And then I switched my arm angle. I dropped down a little bit. Um, I would switch off. I would quick pitch from time to time. Um, and still to this day, when we practice it in the bullpen, I have such a hard time with the extended fastball because like you're just so used to aiming, you know, throwing strikes. And I think one thing that me personally, I would tell young pitchers is that, um, don't leave the ball up because uh, that's that's one of the big ones for me. Um, and I know there's some guys that are low ball hitters and you cross that bridge when, we, when you get there, but I don't throw hard um, at all. Um, and when I mean don't throw hard, I mean like high 60s. So it's nothing. But I still figure out ways to get outs because, um, like you said, walking too many people, I think people just try to um, try to do too much and – 
that's when you're going to start seeing more of the walks and it's just exhausting. Yeah. So I, um, I'll do this too. Mm-hmm. I would rather give up a home run, a solo home run than walk somebody. 100%. Exactly. hundred percent. Totally like a home run gets everybody kind of, you know, it, it is what it is. He runs around the bases, but if I walk somebody, then I got to work out of the stretch, you know, and then I have to hold it. And my whole rhythm is now out of sync and I got to worry about him stealing and you know, how, you know, how quickly do I got to get to home plate? It, you know, is my catcher going to be able to throw him out? You know, everything starts going through my mind and it, it, I hated that. You know, once he got to second, I was kind of in a sense okay with that because um, then I was able to look him back and all that fun stuff. But I would totally rather give up a solo home run than give up a walk any day of the week. And I also think that a one-pitch flyout is way better than a six-pitch strikeout just because, you know, it, could, it adds up to maybe an extra inning further down the game, further into the game. Uh, so confidence is also an important key, um, on the mound. And I know you, again, you work with young pitchers. So is that something you preach to them is confidence and mentality stuff? Yes. I, you need to keep your composure. I'm a composure guy. You know, if I see a guy really getting upset on the mound, I'll, you know, take some time, go out there and talk to him. You know, I, I, I hate that. That's my thing. Or, you know, if it's, I'll, so at the college level, I coach two different, we have a younger team that's kind of our, you know, feeder team build, building up guys in a sense. And we have our older guys, the younger guys I have, and I have full control over um, just because our head coach, he is, he's the pitching guru. You know, I take from him. I learn from him still. I'm able to work with those guys, but he is the final decision maker. He's the manager. He's the guy down with the JV guys. I can go out there and talk to him whenever I want. But a lot of times on that varsity level, on the big level, you know, of our team, I'll, you know, kind of sit back. And if I see something, I'll kind of go over there and be like, Hey, you know, I, you know, maybe let's keep the composure a little bit better and then let's calm guys down. And that's kind of my, my key, my goal on that, on the higher level team is to, you know, Hey, let's, you know, let's keep the composure here. You know, let's, let's make sure we're, we have a high level of high level of excitement and everything like that. Cause that's huge, you know, and a lot of guys feed off that, you know, a lot of guys, are very emotional on the mound and that's something you can't take away. And it, I guess in a sense it varies for everybody. And that's the answer, not a very good answer that it varies for everybody, but that's kind of what you have to learn as a coach is that not one thing is going to work for your whole team. And that's something you got to kind of, that's something that, that was a huge thing that I learned this year is I thought that we were going to go in and everybody, you know, we're all going to make these cookie cutter pitchers that are all the same and that's going to work perfectly. And that doesn't work. Everybody works at a different, level everybody works at a different pace everybody works different pitching so yes going back to your thing or confidence and everything is huge and keeping your emotion and keeping everything cool is huge but it works differently for everybody some guys aren't confident guys and they need it and some guys are overly confident and you have to push them down a little bit Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah so pretty much um I, i see what you're saying like some guys need a pat on the back and uh other guys need a kick in the back so um, it just kind of depends on the individual. Um, also, back to you real quick. Give me a scouting report of you on the mound. What did you throw? What kind of pitcher were you? Let's give a scouting report on Jared Timms. Let's hear it. Let's go. I'll go my last year. Uh, I was, let's see, probably 79 to 82. I guess maybe every once in a while I'll bump it up a little higher, but, you know, it wasn't really in the plans. Uh, like I said, my last year, I learned a lot. 
I was I learned how to cut my fastball so I could throw a cutter. I could throw my fastball with basically the same spin and sink it, um, which was I I love to be able to do that. I had a slider which again I could do multiple things with. I could flatten it out and make it into in a sense a gyro ball um, and have a little bit more depth, or I could really curve it around in a sense and put a little bit more um, spin efficiency on it and really make it into, I guess, if you guys know who he is, a Chaz Rowe type of slider, right? I would start it at the hip and it would go super far away. And I love, I love being able to do that one. Um, I also had a change up that I worked with um, circle change that went, you know, away, away. And I was able, the key to my success was being able to throw those pitches at every arm angle. So I would throw it at three quarter, I would start with, I guess a low three quarter, or I could throw them all from sidearm or I could throw them all from submarine, which it just kind of varied. Whatever I felt like throwing to that guy, my, I felt bad for my catcher because I would just kind of, all right, we're going with it. You know, it, my, this, this, this changeup might, you know, move a lot more at a five, five o'clock than my normal changeup would, but we're going with it here. So, so I apologize for that. But, but yeah, you know, I like said I wasn't overly, overly, I, I didn't have a super powerful fastball. I was able to spot everything up. And I think I, I think I only had maybe two walks all year. I think I threw maybe 15, 10, 15 innings. So yeah, that was, that was the key to my success. And like I said before, I was a huge believer in the Marcus Stroman. I would change up my timings and looks and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, kind of based off the Marcus Stroman um, and Chaz Rowe, who you mentioned, who has a dirty slider. Uh, so who were some of the pitchers that you looked up to? Who are some of the pitchers you look up to today, maybe in terms of uh, telling your pitchers, hey, look at what this guy does. Um, I asked this to the person who I had on last, Matthew McGilliott, Um And he said that he likes watching Trevor Bauer. He likes watching Luis Castillo. Um, so I was wondering if you kind of have any of those favorites. Yeah, growing up, I'll kind of go a little old school here. I was a big Roger Clemens guy, Pedro Martinez guy. Uh, I first started kind of throwing like um, Roger Clemens. I loved the way he threw. I think that I, my arm angle worked best with that. Um, and then I kind of got into a Pedro Martinez where I would really speed everything up and kind of, you know, move it, you know, kind of drop the arm angle and have more of a two seam. So I think that's kind of when I started being able to know like, oh, I could do these different arm angles. And it was a lot of, it, it worked pretty well. So back to that young age, but I was never really confident with it until my last year. Um, Jared Weaver was a huge guy. You know, I loved, I loved watching him throw the changeup. He had a great changeup. Um, and then seeing him drop in velocity to still have success at the major league level was huge for me being that I wasn't a big velocity guy. Um, and now, you know, looking at it, Adam Ottavino, I really, I, I crafted my slider around his slider. That was a big guy. I, I saw something on MLB network and I think you can still find it on, um, YouTube or something like that, where he showed how to throw his slider. And I was like, dang, if I can make my slider like a little bit like his, that could be really, really efficient. And I was able to, and now, I mean, I'm not going to compare my slider to Chaz Rowe or Adam Ottavino, but I feel like it was, you know, pretty, pretty dang good. So it was one of my out pitches. So those guys definitely, definitely for sure. And then my dad always preached Nolan Ryan to me. He was like, you'll be a bulldog like Nolan Ryan, you know, get your, go get on the bikes like Nolan Ryan did, you know, just, just kind of be a bulldog up there. So Nolan Ryan was a big guy too. So does that mean that you also uh, fight Robin Ventura type people <laughs> as well? I, I, I did have a little bit of flair on the mound for sure. I was one of the guys that would chirp back at 
not necessarily like a Mark Fidrich. And I know we're probably getting into people that maybe your listeners probably don't know, but you, I know, you know who Mark, I Fidrich. know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't strange dude on the mound. Oh my goodness. I wasn't like him, but I would get up there and that was my thing. I tried to psych guys out in a sense and like stare down and, you know, get, I was, I was, I was pretty emotional on the mound. Like I would lose kind of control of everything. Like it wasn't a bad emotion, but I would really kind of get into it. So <laughs> Yeah, that's, I wonder how many of my listeners, uh, obviously we just started this, but I wonder how many of my listeners know who Mark Pidrich is. Um, Obvious, off the top of my head, really, really small peak. So that's, and also, yeah, talking to himself on the mound, strange guy. Um, That's an epic name drop drop (laughs) right there, Jared. Uh, So as you were playing baseball at Hope, you were also covering baseball um so is that a lot to handle at all did you find yourself crammed at times or did you balance it pretty well um yeah you know that was that was tough at first for sure you know going to my first university I was like I got to take a step away from I mean you know it Twitter <laughs> uh, it's Twitter super addictive and I was like you know I got to kind of take a step away from that and I did for a little while and then I was able to kind of finally balance out schoolwork and baseball and you know, I worked a job as well. I work baseball. I worked, I work at a sporting goods store, so it's not horrible, but, um, but yeah, you know, it was a difficult thing to balance everything and then have family and have a girlfriend and everything like that. There's only so many hours in the day, but, but yeah, going to a four year college and having, you know, my schedule was I'd wake up at five o'clock in the morning for a six o'clock workout. We go to a seven, we go to seven o'clock. We go to seven o'clock study hall we go to nine o'clock practice until 12 or one. And then after that, we go to class. If we have in class, sometimes we have an online class, which was great. But if we have a sit down class, we have to go, we got to go from that to, I mean, sometimes you have a 12 o'clock class, you're able to get out of school or get out of practice a couple minutes early. And sometimes, you know, you're at school until six, seven o'clock at night and you're not getting home till seven, eight o'clock at night. And then by that time during baseball season, you know, most games are already over unless you're playing out on the West coast. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to balance, but you know, if, if you're able to balance it hundred percent, you know, get your name out there as much as you can get your, you know, get your thought process out there as much as you can for, you know, everything, but it is a difficult thing to balance, you know, schoolwork definitely has to come first. Baseball definitely college baseball definitely has to come first. And then you can put it on a back burner unless you're really getting paid for it um you know go on to twitter and tweet out some things about baseball or write write a couple articles about whoever you want to write about so you're a big analytical guy i know we mentioned this before but uh i see your tweets all the time and they're great so how do you incorporate or how did you first of all how did you learn about analytics what kind of got you into all that the sabermetrics and analytics and numbers and data how did you how did that come about it was a process you know i mean really looking at it probably about five years ago you were I was still looking at places you know like mlb.com for stats and such like that you know like five years ago I mean that's how much this game's grown though too which is crazy but yeah you know it's 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 one of those things where it's kind of been a slow process and that's kind of how it you know baseball has grown too when you look at it it's you know at first we had some stuff like you know, we had exit velocity and we had velocity up there and not too many guys. Well, and we got, I guess we kind of had spin rate, but not too many people knew, you know, a lot about that stuff. And uh, over those, I guess, five years or so now, it's really kind of, you know, that's been the front burner. If you want to get a job in baseball or if you, 
you know, want to be, I guess, in a sense, I don't, I don't want to put this like as a popularity thing. If you want to be well known in the baseball community, you need to know that stuff. And I think that's something that, you know, I guess I had to learn to really get to this level of where I'm at. I don't even know what level I'm at. I guess, I don't know. I'm not at too big of a level. I'm not, I'm not famous by any means, but. Am I talking to Bill James? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Bill James, the goat. Um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's been a learning process the entire way. It's, you know, a new stat will come out and you got to go read up on that. Or, you know, when it comes to pitching the analytics behind that and they advance, you know, rap soto, everything builds off of one another. You know, you can't look at spin rate without spin efficiency or, you know, your velocity or, you know, anything like that. So, or it's, it's you know, everything builds off one another. So in a sense, I kind of look at it like a, like a math class, you know, how you get there week one and you have to learn that or else week your chapter two doesn't make sense. And if you don't get chapter one and two, chapter three doesn't make sense. So you got to start somewhere. You got to start with the lower stuff that, you know, a little bit, but once you get going, I mean, there's so much to do in that. There's so much to learn. I think like, I think that's why I was in school so long is because of how much I like to learn. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. It, it's just so much fun, this analytical stuff. And it's just kind of the new way that baseball has gone. And, you know, using RBIs now is so old school. Like I, who uses RBIs? Yeah. Use RBIs, right? Nah, I don't know if anybody really uses them that really <laughs> wants to evaluate a player seriously. Um, I better not see you use RBIs, Steven. No, I won't use RBIs. Nope. Right. Nope. 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 <laughs> um, even some broadcasts are getting or um, evolving into uh, not like broadcast team broadcasts. Like Vince Scully was even using OPS towards the end um, and scoreboards. I know you look at the scoreboards; they used to have RBIs and batting average and all that. And now you're starting to see maybe not weighted runs created plus, but you're starting to see um, some more advanced metrics on there too. So, do you use any of them? Uh, you talk about spin rate and all that. Do you use any of them when you're uh, teaching some of your pitchers? Yeah, we have a rap soda, which I don't know if very many people know what that is, but it's just a camera that picks up everything that, you know, spin the way it spins, your spin efficiency. Um, I could talk about this for hours. Um, but yeah, we have one of those at my school. And that's kind of my main focus is to learn our pitchers from that. And I, I love to get reports on every single one of their bullpens and give it to them and tell them what they did good, what they might need to work on, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a huge part of it. And one thing that I really didn't know in our, until our, my coaching staff told me this, but our team, our, our lineups are based around slugging percentage. And in our league, I guess we have, you know, if a team has a really good slugging percentage, I mean, this makes total sense now, but if your team has a really good slugging percentage, you're more likely to win our division and the leader of the, whoever whatever team led in slugging percentage that year went on to win our division. So that's kind of what our, um, what our lineups are based around. So I guess in a sense, that's analytical um, when it comes to shifting and such like that, I wish we did a little bit more of it on my team, but I'm not the one who's in charge with that. I, I do the pitching. <laughs> so if I see something, I'll be like, Hey, you know, you want to move him over a little bit, this guy's pulling it. But yeah, I, I, I would love to see our team shift a little bit more and, Funny story, our first year, we didn't bunt at all, and we didn't steal bases at all. We didn't do very well. Second year, we bunted a lot, and we stole bases a lot, and we did really well. So finding that middleman of analytics and just old-school coaching is a huge thing as well. So 
I'm not going to completely preach analytics. I don't, I'm not going to be like, all right, we need to be on a computer while we're playing and give you guys all this stuff on what we need to do percentages. But I do think that analytics definitely has a place in baseball and we see it, but I think that old school baseball thought does too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there needs to be a good mix. Um, Cause I've read, you know, I've, I have Keith Law's smart baseball and Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sotrick's, uh what is it called? MVP machine and Brian Kenny's book. And there's a lot of, um, good stuff in there if people want to kind of get a head start on sabermetrics because uh, honestly down the road it's just going to keep evolving and I would recommend and I'm sure Jared does too to read up on that if you want to continue to grow as a baseball fan because um, I think the time where uh, to, the, the time to be open mind is right now because uh, we're looking at all these older fans and maybe some casual fans too uh, who just dismiss it right off the bat and no pun intended, but I, I just, I don't know. I just think that analytics need to be understood. Even if, even if they don't necessarily want to be, you have to have an open mind about them. Um, so that is, that that's some good stuff right there. All right, Jared, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you could follow Jared. Do you want to plug yourself here real quick? Plug all your stuff that you do. Yeah, I'm at uh, Jared underscore Tim's on Twitter. Um, I have my WordPress linked in there too. You know, I'm not going to give you all my Snapchat, but <laughs> that, you know, hey, go follow me on Twitter. That's where I do a lot of my work. All right, sounds good, Jared Tim's. Everybody, remember the name. Future uh, person sitting next to Ken Rosenthal in a big league press box. Maybe even we will see him uh, as a part of a big league front office, part of a big league coaching staff. Uh, the um, There's no limit right now for Jared Timms. So thank you for coming on, Jared. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. I appreciate it. And I hope to come on again with you. I love talking it. Absolutely. So you can follow us on Twitter at Strikes Podcast on Twitter. Uh, And on Instagram, we are uh, Throwing Strikes Podcast. uh, So you can get all of our information there. All right. Signing off for today, I'm Stephen Risotto. You can follow me at Steven Risotto, Steven with a V, R-I-S-S-O-T-D-O. And uh, have a good one, and we'll be back soon.